Hello and welcome to series two of Just Like the Moon, We Go Through Phases. I'm your host, Laura, and in this podcast, I chat with fascinating and brave everyday heroes that share their stories, their ups and downs, and their experiences with mental health in order to help us see things a little differently. As regular listeners may know, this is more than just a show. This is a community, a safe space for you to feel supported, seen and heard. And in the words of one of my lovely listeners, a place where the phrase, you're not alone, goes from being just a platitude to something more relatable and tangible. So if you're new here, or if you're a returning listener, please know you are always welcome and I am delighted to have you. On the podcast this week, I'm joined by the amazing Ashley. Ashley is a 26-year-old biology student, a kidney transplant recipient, and is passionate about raising awareness about kidney disease, renal failure, and living with chronic disease. When she was 16, she found out she had a rare autoimmune disease that only one in a million people get, in which the antibodies in your body start to think your organs, specifically your kidney and your lungs, should not be there and attack them. Due to this being untreated for quite a while, by the time she received the diagnosis, her kidney functions were in such a state she had to get emergency dialysis, and her family was told that it was very unlikely she would survive. However, she thought through it, and after treatment got rid of the disease. She still required a kidney transplant, however, that she got eight years after. In this episode, we talk about her journey from the discovery of having autoimmune disease to undergoing a kidney transplant and all in between. She talks about the impact of the various treatments, both from a physical and mental health point of view. We discuss the need and the lack of mental health support for people undergoing similar treatments. And she also mentions possible symptoms to look out for with regards to kidney issues and so much more. It it definitely made me realise that like, yeah, your body is unbelievable. I used to get so paranoid because the kidney is in the front and it's in, you know, you, I'm always going to have a bulge there now because I have an extra organ there. And then for a while I was looking at it like, oh, I wish I didn't have that. And then I'm thinking like, it's keeping me alive. Like, I can't believe like how well my body has coped with the amount of trauma it's been under. And it's, yeah, it is impressive. I found this episode really eye-opening. It's not something I knew very much about. And Ashley talks so eloquently and openly about the medical procedures and the practical aspects of going through this experience. It left me really in awe of modern medicine, but also in awe of the strengths and resilience of people's bodies and minds. So yeah, I just think it's really important to talk about it more. And I'm delighted that Ashley came on the podcast to do so. So I hope you enjoy it. Let's get started. today and I'm joined by the lovely now blonde until yesterday brunette uh, Ashley hello hello hi how are you today I am very well how are you I'm good yeah I've been up really early that's very unusual for a Saturday for me so I'm like hyper yeah I know me too I think I'm on my like fourth coffee now <laughs> I'm just on my first so I'm very impressed um but um yeah, I don't don't usually get up early, but I'll crash and burn later on. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, afternoon naps, that's the way. <laughs> I know, I love an afternoon nap. I had one yesterday and it totally threw me. Um, but yeah, sorry, talking nonsense. Anyway, for anyone, for anyone that doesn't know you, can you just give us a wee intro and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, yeah. So um, my name is Ashley and um, I am 26 at the moment, soon to be 27. And... <laughs> Um, in May 2019, I received a kidney transplant. I suffered from renal failure since I was um, 16 years old. <clears throat> so I'd been waiting for quite a while for a transplant. And um, yeah, I'm doing a lot better now. Um, but definitely the the experience of, of renal failure itself um, was quite challenging. But um, yeah, I, I, I think my, my kidney function before... My transplant was 8% and at the moment it's 101%, so better than the average bear. So. <laughs> Amazing. Wow, okay, so that's quite a lot because you, so you were 16 when this all started, is that right? Yeah, so um, when, I, when I was 16 I was having 
problems I had lots of like swelling in my ankles and um I had blood in my urine and things like that and I ended up going to the doctors and they couldn't figure out what was like what was the problem um so they just gave me antibiotics for a urine infection and it didn't really help or anything so I ended up having to keep going back and eventually they found out that I had an autoimmune disease um it's called anti-glomellular basement membrane disease. <laughs> wow, that's <a> <laughs> hard to remember. <laughs> um, and it's basically the antibodies in your blood. Um, they start to think that your organ shouldn't be there, specifically your kidney and your lungs. Um, so it starts to attack them. And that's what had been going on with me. But because we weren't sure at the time, it had gone quite long untreated. Um, so by the time they diagnosed it, my kidney function had already gone to the point of needing dialysis. And so di- dialysis, what's, for anyone that doesn't know what dialysis is, what does that entail? So the dialysis I had was a specific type. It was called plasma exchange. So it's where they, um, I mean, they can either put um, a fistula in your arm, which is when they join the big arteries in your arm together to make like a super vein. Um, or they, if they need to do it in like an emergency, they would normally just go into the artery in your neck um, and they would put a stent in there and then just use that to, to do it. So what they do is um, I had to get it in my neck because it was an emergency. Um, so they have to put a stent in and then you get hooked up to a machine where it takes out your, the plasma in your blood, cleans it and puts it back in again. Wow. Modern medicine um, is like fascinating. I know. It's crazy, isn't it? Um yeah, so it, it takes it out and it cleans it and it puts it back in again. Um yeah, it's quite um fascinating actually because at the end of it you can see all the dirty plasma that comes out of your blood <laughs> to see like that's the the autoimmune disease and that's what's caused it. So it's pretty interesting actually. That's amazing. So you got that done when you were sixteen? Yeah, I think I think I turned 17 just as I I left hospital. So yeah, I was 16 at the time. Um, I didn't really know what was going on, to be honest. I I knew that I was poorly, but I didn't realise at the time that they'd actually told my mum that it was very unlikely I'd survive. So the whole time, yeah, the whole time she was sitting with me in the hospital, she was basically saying her goodbyes. And I was just like... What's going on? <laughs> when can oh, I come home? Gosh, Ashley, that's like hit me in the core. That must have been so. I mean, hard for you because you went well, but you, you know, you didn't know the gravity. I suppose, as you said, you weren't. You were feeling awful. Yeah. But like your mum sitting next to you as well, thinking she's saying goodbye. Yeah, I know. It's it's quite. I I think at the, at the time I didn't really understand, but when I thought back, I was like that makes so much more sense so the way that people were acting around me and stuff now I get it (laughs) yeah I'm very lucky yeah and how do you feel about the fact that they didn't tell you that I think probably in a way they did I just I I didn't think it was so bad that anytime they'd mentioned something about oh you know this is getting really bad I would just be like okay but we can still fix me sort of thing (laughs) okay yeah that's that's good though because look where you are now <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> yeah so so basically you you you're 16 you're getting these symptoms uh like so what were the symptoms just like it's interesting and I think it's worth knowing to look out for as well yeah um so originally I I just had swelling really bad swelling in my ankles and okay. in my face especially around my eyes and I, I'd had that for a long time. I didn't even realise. When I look back now at like school photos, I can see like swelling in my face. And probably at the time, I just thought like that was my face. <laughs> like that was normal. Um, but yeah, that was definitely the first thing. And then I um, noticed blood in my urine as well. That's, I think that's pretty common. Like that's, I mean, even with urine infections or kidney infections, that's you know a, a sign of like that your kidneys aren't coping um and sickness as well I had really bad sickness and I think that's why I kept having to go back is because I was really sick um but to the point of where you get you actually get physically sick um that's like when you're at your very end stage of, of being 
there before that you wouldn't really get sickness um but there's a lot of other people who get like back pain like specifically you know like your your kidneys and um i mean it's kind of hard to judge because not really everyone thinks about where their kidneys are and things like that but um just tiredness and fatigue as well it's really hard to judge but i would definitely say that um swelling is definitely a big part um your ankles your the bottom of your legs and your your face as well that must have been really scary for you at 16 to have to be experiencing all these symptoms and not knowing what they were as well yeah I I remember when I was younger and my mum went with me to the doctors and we were sitting there and the doctors sat in her chair with her hands behind her head and she was just like I don't know I don't know what this is and I, I was so lucky because the only reason they figured out what it was was because one of the doctors, one of the renal doctors in Rigmore had just gone to a conference about anti-glomerular basement membrane disease, the Don't disease that I had. And that was the only <laughs> oh and that was gosh. the only way that he recognised the symptoms was that he just read about them or whatever. So. Wow. So that was meant to be. It was, yeah. Amazing. So so this immune disease attacked your liver and your kidney, but the the, the lungs and kidney. Lungs yeah. and kidney, sorry. Uh, but it was your kidney that was the most damaged, is that correct? Yeah, I was quite lucky. It didn't get to my lungs. Um maybe like a, a little, there was a little damage, but nothing that wouldn't be fixed anyway. Um yeah it was it was solely my kidneys really that that took the brunt of it and um actually one I think it was my left one more than my right one as well um and yeah I if I hadn't got the plasma exchange when I did then I just I wouldn't have been here today so I am it feels like everything happened at the right time for the right reason um yeah and I, I am really lucky because I think at the time it's really it's a really rare disease I think it is it's one in a million that get it and I think I was the youngest person in the UK to have it at the time um because it normally affects I think like between 30 and 40 and then like older so uh, the fact that I was 16 even the stent that they had for my neck was too big so when they originally did the operation put the stent in it scraped the artery to my heart this is not for the faint-hearted this episode is it (laughs) (laughs) I know I just talk about it like it's normal and everyone's like (laughs) I know well you're so hardy yeah so it scraped your scraped your heart oh my gosh and so what did that mean um it just I mean when I was sitting up and stuff I could just feel it like not right and we had to do the operation again to take it out and put a smaller one in um and yeah it's so strange like because they had to do it so the the plasma exchange so fast you can see in a cartoon when you can see stars going past your eyes and stuff that's what it's like when it happens so quick um it feels like you can see little bits going past your eyes (laughs) it's so weird so it's like coming out of your body yeah yeah and you're just (gasps) sitting there watching all this stuff that was in your body it's awesome. and how I mean how did you manage that at 16 that's just like you that's such that's quite a traumatic experience really isn't it yeah I think at the time um I, I think most people who, who would have been in a situation like that you don't realize you just sort of get through it and then it's afterwards after everything sort of gets better that's when it hits you like oh wow I really was sick and stuff um it was hard as well because we got rushed to Aberdeen and it was me and my mum and when we got there my mum my was told that they would have she would have somewhere to stay like at the hospital and when we got there the hospital rooms were full so she didn't have anywhere to stay and my mum is disabled she has arthritis in her spine and stuff so she finds it hard to walk so while I was in the hospital she was also struggling to going from B&B to B&B and not knowing where she's going to stay and stuff so um I think I was more worried about that than I was about how I was feeling like oh god where's she going to stay and stuff but um yeah I mean after after I got out of hospital I I I found it really hard because they pumped me full of steroids um like when I went in I was a size six when I came out I was a size 16 and it was two weeks 
that I was in hospital. So I went from in two weeks. Um, so like, I, I looked a lot different, but also my skin hurt. Like to wear clothes or to go outside when it was sunny, it was just painful. I couldn't find shoes that would fit because my feet were so swollen. Um, and just like seeing friends again. Obviously, when you're a teenager, people don't really hold back it's just like oh god like what is up with you you look different and yeah I my my older brother he's not that far in age I think he's only like a year older a year and a half older than me and I think I think I'm not actually sure (laughs) I know he's older um but yeah I find myself just like I wouldn't leave the house unless he was there because if someone tried to talk to me he would step in and say oh yeah she's fine she's just yeah, or I felt like I had someone who was who was there who was knew how I, how I felt. Yeah, your protection. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, there was weeks where I just wouldn't get out of my bed. Oh god! Just I would literally sit in the. It's like the typical like not doing okay, sitting in the dark and just hoping everything goes away. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then after that, I don't know. I think just one day I was just like, I feel better and I need to try and physically I feel better but I need to try and make myself actually feel better and have friends and see people and yeah I think just get I just we used to live by the beach so just getting out and going for a walk along the beach does wonders just Mm -hmm. clear my head and not think about you know poor me I went through this and I'm not okay it was you know I just need to I'm still here and I should be thankful for that so just get on and do what I can to make the most of the fact that I'm still here yeah but still like as you say I mean you're still here you should be grateful for that 100% it's brilliant I'm delighted you're still here particularly (laughs) um because you know from what they said to your mom and 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 it's amazing and and you've gone through other things since as well because you've you've had a the transplant that we'll get onto in a bit um but I think it's normal like at the age of 16 17 that's a huge transformation like not just you're dealing with the physical aspects and the mental aspect and the, the trauma of the actual operation and just going through that really quickly and then the physical change afterwards. And I think it's 100% normal to to sort of feel a bit lost, I suppose. And and, and as you said, your, your physical identity changed in two weeks. That's yeah. a big... Um, and with pain and, and other things, and I think that's allowed. I mean, did you get any support, any psychological support for this transition? No, there wasn't anything offered at the time. I, I mean, when I was being treated, a, a lot of the medication that I was on, um, like, for example, some of the the IVs that they gave me were something that they would give to a chemo patient so they can cause infertility and things like that. Um, and I think because it's a case of we do this or that's it, you know, there's nothing else. It's just you accept it. And then afterwards you get given a leaflet. And then, and then that's it. Nothing happened. I don't think the first time I was offered counselling was about two months before my transplant, and that was through a charity, mm-hmm. through a kidney-based charity, not through any advice from doctors or anything like that. Um, which that is... just like oh, it enrages me and it baffles me. Like I just to think that you like poor, you're so lovely and like this like young seventeen-year-old girl being told oh we're just going to do these treatments because there's no other option that's already like the fact that you're realizing that you're mortal is quite like I think at 17 I did not have an awareness of life ending or you know and it hits you when you're like oh shit I could like it there is mortality in us yeah and then and then being told that you might not be able to conceive and it's like you haven't even thought if that's even something you want yeah and not even supporting that process psychologically and then being on this transformation physically um and as you said you couldn't leave the house it just enrages me that these that that's not a thought that's not part of the treatment process there's like here's all the medicine and let's keep you alive but they're not there to help you live they're just there to help you stay alive and I think that's just flawed yeah definitely I think before I had my transplant I I ended up getting really ill again and it it made me feel really down and and things like that and 
I remember speaking to my renal team and telling them, like, you know, I I can't cope and things. Like, I I got to the I got to the point where I said, like, my kidney function had got to the point where I had to choose between. There's two different kinds of dialysis. Uh, you can get it done through your stomach, or you can get it done through your arm. Um, and they said you need to choose which one you want. Um, and I said I, I don't want either. If I don't get a transplant, that that's me. I don't want to to do dialysis. I'm happy just dying, basically. And they just said that's not like to me. If someone had said, looking back now, if someone had said to me, if I if I can't get a transplant, I'd rather die. That's a warning sign, and someone should have said, "You're not coping. Yeah. Let's see what we can do about that." Instead of just saying, "No, that's not good enough. You need to have one." Ah, that's not even a warning sign. That's a, like a flaming red neon sign flag. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I'm really sorry that you went through that, and and it's great that you were offered support from a charity, but it's just not good enough, is it? Really. No, no, it's not. And and the thing is, is that the charity was run by kidney patients because they've got nothing. Yeah. And I think that's really sad that in order to find help, you've got to do it. Your, you've got to do it yourself. If it wasn't for that charity who was run by people who had already been in that experience, then we would have nothing. It is yeah, that's a real shame. So tracking back a little bit, we're going to... to back to to this so you had the treatment at 17 and then so then you were better after that for a little bit so you because you said that you got sick again so how did life look so you didn't get your transplant till 2019 so that's how many years I'm trying to do math so. I, I don't, I'm not even sure maybe 10 years I think so you're 25 when you got your transplant and so 17 so five eight years of waiting um so yeah so you had this treatment you 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 changed over your plasma things this is me not understanding medical things properly but so does that mean that you got rid of the immune disease were you out of your system and then you had to wait eight years for your transplant so in between that how were you doing what was what's yeah, so um, after the plasma exchange, and I, I got given a lot of um, medication and stuff like that as well. And leaflets. Yeah, leaflets. <laughs> the helpful leaflets. <laughs> um, and yeah, it, thankfully they managed to get rid of the, the disease. Um, the thing with that disease, that even though it's rare and the mortality rate is quite high, um, that it's very unlikely that once you get rid of it, that you'll get it again. It's very unlikely, but they have to do biopsies. So, um, yeah, I think I I got the all clear test and I got to go home and things. And then I had to um, <clears throat> get blood tests every second day. Um, and we live uh, at the time I lived out by Tain, so t- and we didn't drive, so I had to get the bus to Inverness every second Gee. day. Oh. <laughs> and were you going to school during this time as well? Um, no, I was still quite poor and I had to take tablets and inject myself um as well every day um with um I, th- I think it was called RNS it's to encourage your blood to make iron because it had stopped because of all the, the medication that I was on um and yeah so I, just doing that all day it wasn't really possible to be in school with pills and things like that um and yeah, I, so I was having blood appointments every second day. And for anyone that's listening that doesn't know, so Tain is well about it's about an hour, isn't it, to Minas? I would say. Yeah, on the bus it's like an hour and a half. Yeah, so every other day being that, and you're you're still poorly because you're still taking lots of medicine, and yeah, I mean. Yeah, and um, a lot of the the tablets that I I took. Um, I mean, at the time, I was just taking them normally. But if you got prescribed them now, you have to wear gloves when you take them because they're radioactive. <laughs> oh, my god! So, yeah, I didn't realise. One of my friend's mum has the same medication and she's not allowed to touch it with her bare hands. So um, they were pretty hardcore. <laughs> and I used to get really bad travel sick as well, which made it 10 times worse. Every day I would just be exhausted. Um, 
and I, I did that for probably about a year and a half. Oh my gosh, Ashley, you are just so hardy. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think I had two biopsies. Um, so yeah, a biopsy is just when they go in and they take a sample of the tissue. So they took samples of my kidneys and tested it. And they both came back negative for the um, um, autoimmune disease, um, which was good. And I think they'd managed to get through medication and controlling my blood pressure because after after all of this happened I had really bad problems with controlling my blood pressure um I used to I couldn't go for a bath without fainting and things like that like it was really really bad so they used to give me um blood thinners and things like that um and yeah so once they got a control of my blood pressure they managed to get my kidney function to about I think it was about 40 percent 45 percent maybe um and then yeah I, I was fine I I tried to go back to school but I'd missed too much and um I ended up just go trying to get a job and things like that and sort of like lived as as a normal life as I could um up until I was about 24 when it started to get quite bad and um yeah I think like the last so I got my transplant in May 19 but the last I don't know year I don't know yeah probably a year before that I was sick every day every single day in the morning I was sick and the the longer I was getting ill for um I was I was still working full-time but I was sorry if my bosses hear this but I was falling asleep at work and um (laughs) I I mean I'd lock myself in the bathroom at work and cry just because I was so tired and I, I at that point I lived out on the west coast so d- the drive to work itself was an hour and then an hour home <laughs> and it was just not practical and it was exhausting and I think that's when I got to the point of I can't do this again I can't you know live like this again or be on dialysis again it was just at the time it just seemed like something that I can handle yeah well you were you were it sounds like you were completely not just like physically drained because obviously the energy that it takes to just get through the day by being so unwell every day but like mentally drained as well because a year of that would would get to anyone wouldn't it really like it's totally doesn't surprise me yeah. And I'm I'm so in awe of your strength that you've got through this. It's just amazing. So so this happened, and then you said, right, you you got to really quite a low point, and um and you were you said you were offered therapy. Did you take it? Um yeah, I I got an there is there is a, a a guy called Colin who um ran a charity um called Highlands and Islands Kidney Patient Association. Um, and he was a kidney patient himself and the the reason I met him actually was because I, I got invited to a um, transplant open day uh, a kidney open day so it goes into depth about the different kinds of dialysis that you can get in the transplant so. it's like when you say a transplant open day you'll be like I can't pick my kidney <laughs> <laughs> I want that one <laughs> that one I'll put that one in my freezer <laughs> No, sorry, that's not just stupid. That's all I could say. I'd be like, so funny. Uh, no, so you see a day where they explained things. Is that correct? Yeah, they, so they explained the options that you you get and and how a transplant works and things. And you are allowed to take your family or your friends or whatever. So I took my two brothers, thinking that if I'm gonna have to get an organ, it'll be one of these guys. So I took them with me <laughs> so they could see. And um, yeah, the the Colin, the, the guy Colin, he did a speech about everything that he'd been through. And I think he'd had like three transplants and he'd, he'd been on dialysis on and off for like 20 years. And um, he ended up getting skin cancer because of the tablets that he was taking. And he just had a really rough ride of it. And I just sat there and I was like, like how? How can he he be sitting here and saying, you're doing the right thing? Like, transplants are amazing if he's already had three that haven't worked. Like, he was just such an amazing guy. Um, And unfortunately, he passed away last year. Um, 
which yeah it was it's, it's a shame because he really did inspire a lot of people um I mean I think if it wasn't for me meeting him I he was the person that came to me and said if you need therapy this is where you need to go and he was like we'll pay for it and yeah he was just he was a really nice guy and I after I mean so he yeah so he offered he got in touch with me and said you know at the open day when I was with my brothers and they were talking about dialysis and transplant stuff and I didn't they don't tell you everything from the start so they don't say that you, you're you're kind of led to believe that a transplant will fix everything you know because uh, when my kidneys first failed they said <laughs> really technical they took my kidney function and took a ruler and went that's when you're going to need your they literally just used a ruler and just on the screen and just went that's roughly when you're going to need your transplant it was surprisingly accurate <laughs> it was surprisingly accurate so um but yeah, basically your, your, your whole life is leading up to, you know, that year when you need the transplant and you think it's going to fix everything. And then he's, he's standing there and he's saying, they don't tell you that the eight out of 10 people who take transplant meds get skin cancer. And um, because, you know, you take steroids and, you know, your teeth break and your hair falls out and stuff and, I think just listening to that I, I just I started crying in front of uh, the whole room of people <laughs> I was just sitting there crying and yeah he came over and he was like it's hard but people need to hear it because you don't hear it anywhere else you just think that that's going to be the magical fix and yeah so he he came over and we swapped numbers and he texted me and said like this company we've got like a a deal with them but we've got like a um, connection with them so I think they they paid for like six, six sessions with them um, which is amazing and although at the time it was kind of I feel like it would have would have helped if I hadn't just found out I was getting a transplant because then as soon as I found out I was getting a transplant I was like I'm fine I don't need any help like everything's going to be so much better when this happens and I I think I, I, they offered six sessions but I took three and then I found out that my transplant was going ahead so I part of me was like I don't need it like it's gonna all be fine <laughs> and then the other part of me was like why would I use the money if I'm or well, when I'm there I'm not gonna say that how I really feel because I'm too excited about the transplant <laughs> so um but yeah even after that because I knew that I existed and because I knew there was people who could help um I yeah I then started working in that charity with him to show people like this is where you can go if you need help or even the charity itself um when I had my transplant we came home and probably about a month after I, I got home our boiler um started like leaking gas <laughs> and we didn't realize and then they had to come out and turn our gas off and everything um so we had like we had to move back in with my mom it just wasn't ideal and he said like that's not okay like you're you're too sort of vulnerable right now to be living with other people so they paid for a brand new boiler for us so that we could yeah stay at home and be comfortable and and stuff so yeah they really were amazing and um there is help out there it's not easy to find unfortunately um I'm sure that's the same in, in most cases you know these things aren't really advertise as much as they should be but yeah it, it definitely the sessions I went to definitely helped because even just speaking to someone and telling someone how you really feel because I find it hard like I'm you know married but speaking to my husband is difficult because he sees me every day anyway so me saying to him even though I'm you know smiling and joking all day for me to actually say you know I I'm not okay I don't want to be here and he'd be like I don't understand it's it's you can't really I mean you, you can talk to people but it's difficult when they see you every day all day yeah and I suppose it's also sometimes the nice thing about going to see a counsellor is that it's just a free no judgment no history background space like they don't they're just there to listen and to hold you and and like with any relationship outside that kind of helping 
relationship where the, the specific for that it's very unusual that someone just sits there and listens to you like they'll always have their two pence even if they don't think they do and even yeah. if it's someone that loves you like your husband they will have a preconceived concept of who you are and how you live because they're with you all the time and and um the counseling really helps you to just be like well actually this is all that's going on and 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 no one's gonna make a judgment on that that's yeah exactly yeah well, that, that's good that you were able to have it. Have you had any since the transfer? No. Um... Story's nosy. <laughs> just because, like, I'm just amazed of, like, what you, this, the the hardiness of what you've been through. And you just, like, if, if anyone, no one could see you on the podcast, it's just voice, but, like, Ashley is forever smiling. You just always come in with, like, the lovely, sunniest disposition. You have such a lovely nature. Um, but you've just been through so much and you still... Are still so lovely and positive so uh, yeah it's amazing but I can imagine that there's a lot as we've just said there's a lot that you don't see that's going on I mean part of the experience of me having the transplant was basically as, as soon as I had it I felt a million times better I felt like a brand new person I mean like mentally and physically the the doctor actually said to me the surgeon he because they come to visit you I think like in the first couple of days and he said as soon as he connected my new kidney my skin went from gray to pink and he said it's like instant like it's just amazing and um yeah as soon as I kind of got past the recovery um stage I was thinking back to like the way I felt and the way I was acting towards my family and my husband and things and I was just like who was that person like I can't believe that was me like I wouldn't I wouldn't speak to anybody about how I felt but then I'd be angry that they didn't know how I felt and and yeah and it was just and now I'm like if I'm angry or upset or I don't feel well I'll tell everybody yeah (laughs) I'm just like this happened today and it's not okay (laughs) and uh yeah, I think I realise now that the importance of sharing your feelings and because before I was just bawling it all up and that was probably part of my, my issue. Um, so, yeah, I definitely feel like since then, I I mean, I probably I probably could go and see a counsellor, but at, at, at the moment, I think I'm trying to push myself to just open up to people a little bit more and that I think that's really helping actually yeah um, that's brilliant and before lockdown of course <laughs> I know of course lockdown thanks for that but um no it's brilliant that, that this has sort of made a shift in in your relationships for the positive as well so going going back to your transplant because I think uh I just think this is so cool that it was your brother was your donor is that right yeah 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 um the the same brother that I leached to when I <laughs> when I came out of hospital the first time um I was really lucky actually I had um four people come forward four people successfully come forward I mean like my mum came forward and my gran and things but you know age and stuff comes into it <laughs> and do, you, do you have to like do they have to match is there certain things that have to align I'm guessing yeah so um ideally you need to be the same blood group um and um, you need to there's different antibody matches that you can have so um, a zero 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 mismatch is the best antibody match because it means that you don't have any antibodies with the, the other person um, so the four people that came forward one of them was a friend of mine um, and you can only have three people be tested to be your donor at one time so because she was the only person that came forward that wasn't family, I thought, you know, like, we'll keep you in reserve. <laughs> <laughs> That's so nice, though. I know. It, it was unbelievable that the people that came forward was just not people you would normally expect. Um, yeah, it was, it was really nice, actually. Um, but yeah, so I had my, my two older brothers and my husband come forward. Um, and <laughs> my oldest brother, he um, has the worst phobia of needles. 
ever. So, I mean, it was never going to work out well with him anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he had to go in for, it was really funny, he had to go in for a blood test to see if we were, you know, antibodies and stuff. And he was terrified and it took, I don't know, 40 minutes to get this one tube of blood and then they lost it or they didn't label it properly. Oh, <laughs> so no. they ended up phoning him and saying, oh, we made a mistake, can you come back? And he was like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, bless him. Yeah, we didn't actually end up being the same blood group, which um, was probably a blessing in disguise because <laughs> it would have been awful. <laughs> And then I think I think my husband and my other brother, Stephen, they went um, to get tested at the same time, roughly. And um, I was the same blood group as both of them, which, is, which was lucky. And then my husband, the mismatch came back. I think it was one, two, one, which means um, obviously zero, zero, zero is the best mismatch that you can get for antibodies. It means that you have none. And then two 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 mismatch means that you have the highest antibodies you can against that person. So one two one, like in like, between, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't great. Um, and then my brother Stephen's results came back, and he was zero zero zero, which means we didn't have any antibodies. Um, so yeah, they just kind of went. It was really awkward because it was me that had to decide who I went with from the results, and obviously. I was kind of thinking that they would have gone, it's okay, like, you go with this person, I'd rather not. Instead, it was the opposite. They were both like, pick me, pick me. <laughs> and it was so odd because I was like, okay. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we ended up going with um, my brother, obviously. And, um, yeah, it's been unbelievable. It was so strange because um, I think the good thing about knowing the person is that we, we were in hospital together. So when we were recovering, we were recovering together. Oh, I love that. Um, <laughs> it's de- it definitely made our relationship stronger. I mean, we were close anyway, but like we would have like breakfast together and and stuff. And <laughs> it was just really nice. Like he would come through and he would be like, I walked for the first time today. And <laughs> I would go through and yeah, it was, it was, it was nice. It was... Um, I was very lucky because as well they don't mention that the I think the I'm trying to remember what it's called now basically your the the kidney that you get if it's from a living donor it lasts like I think maybe like three times longer than it would if it was from a deceased donor and even then from a living donor like the average is like 10 years 10 8 to 10 years um so yeah I mean oh I I've since then I've made a lot of friends with the people that we were in hospital with and for example the I mean my function since the transplant hasn't gone below 90 90 percent okay um a person that Stephen was in his ward with he got his transplant the same day as me and his function is like 34 percent right now Right, okay. So it just puts into perspective how lucky I actually am <laughs> like to have such a good kidney. Yeah. So do you have to now have regular checks? So I I never realized see I never realized that that um like transplants would last only so long. So that means you'll have to get another one or how does that work? Yeah. So I I was kind of told from the start that if I was to live to you know, the sort of the normal AU, whatever, 90, hopefully 100, um, I would need three transplants in my lifetime. Um, I'm hoping maybe not three because this one is doing so well. Um, yeah, you need to have quite a lot of checkups. I think for the first six months I was in every second day again, um, mainly to check your function, but also it takes quite a while to get your new medication level sorted because there's a really fine line um, in your anti-rejection medication where if you don't get an, if you, if your level isn't high enough you go into rejection but if your level is too high you, it, you go toxic so that can make your kidney fail anyway so it's a really fine line that they have to balance um, and 
because you have essentially no immune system as well that you need to keep getting checked for infections and stuff um and you also have a stent in for three months i think after so when they connect um your new kidney it goes in in your front so it goes in your abdomen um and they need to connect it to your bladder through your ureter um but to make sure that doesn't close they need to put a plastic stent in um so they have to keep that stent in place for I think it's eight to 12 weeks, but I got mine out at 14 weeks, I think. Um, yeah, and so you have to go in and they scan you and they remove that. Um, again, it's such a fine line because someone else who'd been in the same situation got the transplant at the same time as me. When they went in to get their stent removed, they found out that they had sepsis from having the stent in because it can it's obviously a plastic tube and if you move or you know you're you know it can cause like little cuts and things like that it's just it's a very like fragile time um when you're recovering but it's it's also quite fun because you you don't realize how ill you are until you're better and then when you're better you're like brand new (laughs) yeah amazing I mean I'm just like I'm listening to you and I'm thinking just I keep on thinking like how bloody amazing our body is and and what I mean and what you've been through and and you know I'm thinking you know I know you through the gym so you're like you strength train you dance you've been all through all this like transformation in your body for for quite a long time now over 10 years of like operations and medicine and new kidney and blah, blah, blah. and it's just it's phenomenal and then you're still like your body is still just like keeping you going and letting you dance and it just like it makes I think at least for me chatting with you it just gives a completely different perspective of like just love your body man like stop being so awful about it because look at what it does like it's amazing yeah exactly like it, it definitely made me realize that like yeah your body is like unbelievable I, I used to get so paranoid because the kidney is in the front and it's in you know you I'm always going to have a bulge there now because I have an extra organ there um and then for a while I was looking at it like oh I wish I didn't have that and then I'm thinking like you know I my it's keeping me alive like I can't believe like how how well my body is coped with the amount of trauma it's been under and it's yeah it is impressive and even like the little things that probably wouldn't fascinate people like I went for an ultrasound on my on my um my kidneys and things like that and one of one of my old kidneys is basically shriveled up now because it stopped working so it's like half the size it was just sitting and like a wee raisin just <laughs> chilling out there. <laughs> That's so funny. I love it. So actually, when you have a kidney transplant, it's not like they take away your kidney. They just add in an extra one. Yeah. Um, they class removing the old kidney as like unnecessary operation. So they just hook up the new one in the front. Um, I met someone when I, when I was in hospital the first time when I was younger. I met her and she had two uh, two kidneys in the back and two in the front <laughs> and at the time I was like that is so crazy and now I'm like that's yeah like I can understand how it happens but wow like it's so mad and that's so fascinating yeah and then my his I, I wish I could show you but my my brother he he was kind of like hoping for this big massive scar and you know guys look at this it's so cool look what I did and his scar is literally like an inch long. Oh wow, that's amazing! Yeah, and they managed to take out a whole organ out of his stomach just like through this tiny wee hole. <laughs> I mean, that just blows my mind. I mean, as we said at the beginning, modern medicine is phenomenal, and your body's ability to recover. I mean, I think if it's anything you take away from this chat, it's those two things, isn't it? Yeah, um, definitely. It's amazing. So. With regards to you, what what's impact has that had on you now? So since you've had your kidney and, and just living this experience, as you said, it's made you appreciate things, but how do you feel like, what's the biggest impact this, this journey's had on you, would you say? It's a question and a half. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, I just, I feel like I didn't really appreciate how 
um, hard my body was fighting at the time and that um, like our bodies are amazing and that you know people are so caught up in um, appearance and oh I need to get skinny to feel better but then think of it like it, literally every single thing that your body is doing it's doing to keep you alive like even the fact if you're feeling down and you get up one day and you're sitting on the sofa having a cup of tea and that's all you do all day then your body is is letting you do that you don't need to feel bad for just having a day of just chilling like I don't know I used to feel bad for you know like even now I'm like oh yeah I've had the transplant I really should embrace it and like climb mountains and stuff but just being alive is like a thing to celebrate in itself and also I, I feel like kidney disease or renal failure isn't anything that anyone ever talks about and before I had it I had no idea that it was a you know a thing no one ever talked about it and it's surprising the amount of people that go through it or that have issues with their kidneys and things like that so I mean yeah I just I, I don't really know what I take away from it just that you know it's it's okay to feel to feel rubbish sometimes it's okay to feel down but just know that you know the better is coming your way like you are gonna feel better I just I don't even know what I'm saying doesn't even make sense <laughs> it does it does it sounds like basically you've just had a whole new appreciation of looking at life really isn't it it's the knowledge that um you you know don't waste time on worrying on on superficial things that don't impact you you know your body's doing amazing things so don't waste your energy on trying to look a certain way because that's you know what your body's doing in the background is way more amazing than you'll ever look and also from what I'm getting is just like this this also acceptance of uh, you don't always have to like you know it's amazing that you've got this whole new lease of life but it doesn't always have to be high and and you don't always have to go for shoot for the stars it's just like just being kinder to yourself I suppose that's what I'm getting from what you've got yeah definitely yeah yeah thanks <laughs> an acceptance and a kindness towards yourself yeah no it's just um it's hard to put it in words I think because you've gone through so much in 10 years and I, th- I know that I put you on the spot with that question <laughs> <laughs> um but it, it is well everything you're saying I think it's so amazing and and it's so true so do you have to do certain things now to take care of yourself and just like uh, and take care of this body that you know this um that's the vessel to your kidney and you know to put to make sure that everything goes as there certain things apart from obviously medicine and things but do you have to make sure that you eat certain foods or is there and like rest as you said it's really important for you to rest and things like that yeah I mean it's like since the transplant even though um, my kidney function has been perfect and like I have felt so much better there is little things that you know can still happen for example um but something that I never really thought was an issue at the time um, when we were younger my brother had had glandular fever and I'd never had it which means um his body had a trace of that in it and mine didn't which means when I got his transplant I also got glandular fever from that um, <laughs> I'm just like if no one can see me but I'm just pulling like the most oh my god faces <laughs> just so fascinating but also wow yeah and like there's so there was two diseases um I say disease it sounds really um awful but it's it wasn't at the, at the time and um, you can get CMV and EBV um I don't actually know the proper medical names for them I just know what they're called like that but um I know that one of them um you can end up getting hepatitis from it I think it's hepatitis B or something like that um and you know I when I tested positive for that they said you know you can get this you can get hepatitis from it but only if you eat meat thankfully I don't eat meat so like yeah it was it was stuff like that like I didn't realize and since then I have I haven't eaten any meat and you have to be careful with your protein levels um if you have kidney problems and sodium levels and phosphate levels and (laughs) So you have to be quite aware of what you're eating. Yeah, I mean, anyone who has been on dialysis will be on a really strict diet anyway. 
um you're not like chocolate or bananas or um anything really I mean I think it's I think it's quite common but um you're normally put on fluid restrictions as well when you're on dialysis so you're only allowed maybe like one bottle of water for the whole day and you're not allowed any food that contains you know like jelly or you know cucumber or anything that contains a lot of water um or if you have that you have to count that towards your water intake um so yeah like i think if you're already on dialysis and you have a transplant then your diet is like so much better because you get to eat chocolate and bananas but if, if you go from not being on dialysis and just eating normally to then having a transplant you you get given a list basically of um um I'm trying to think you're not allowed um anything that contains raw eggs like mayonnaise oh god I live for mayonnaise <laughs> vegan mayonnaise actually is is a good it's, it's really good. It's better than normal mayonnaise, I have to say. So, so vegan food has been a help for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, then there's things like um, you're not allowed raw, like fish, like smoked salmon or anything like that. Um, you're, I think it was like something like nuts or something. And I didn't really understand at the time why I wasn't allowed nuts, but it's because people touch them. I think it's like loose nuts, really. Um, like grapefruit not like grapefruit because it interacts with your tablets like there's so many things that you have to be careful with but they give you a list of all of that um the main thing is like sodium like salt you can't put salt in your food or um anything like that because it's really bad for your kidneys and um water (laughs) water I think after the transplant I was so waterlogged for so long um I had like a an issue called uh, polyuric um, kidney syndrome or something like that, where it's basically like your your new kidney is like goes into overdrive, so you end up peeing out more water than you can physically drink. And I drank so much water, I I can't I was up all night. It was it was horrendous, <laughs> um, and it kind of calmed down when I got home but since then you still have to drink six litres of water a day it's really hard to keep up with the water I mean I think it depends on the person really I mean I wouldn't recommend everyone who's had a transplant to drink six litres of water (laughs) you'll never be off the toilet but um yeah yeah so there's a lot of water and stuff and your weight is important as well I think it's really difficult, especially being on long-term steroids now. Um, they increase your hunger, so it makes it really difficult when you when you want to eat everything <laughs> all the time, and you know you just have to not. <laughs> um, so how do you? Because that that sounds like it could really lead to a really unhealthy relationship with your food and your body because you have to be so strict so how are you managing that is it going back to remembering what your body does and trying to separate it I suppose yeah I mean when I was on steroids the first time I was on a lot of steroids I was on the maximum dose of steroids when I was younger and I had a had a really big problem with food at the time um I'd 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 because I was on so many steroids and I was eating so much I'd gone to the doctors and I'd said I'm having trouble like losing the steroid weight because I because to me it wasn't I wouldn't have normally gained that much weight it's the steroids it's and and the doctor said to me you're actually just fat right and that's all he said was just you're just fat like it's not steroid weight you're just fat. oh that's thanks that's really helpful I know isn't it <laughs> and like I mean after that I really struggled with food I I um I used to make myself sick so that I you know so that I I could still eat and satisfy the hunger but um not gain any weight and it was so bad and it was awful and my mom ended up you know finding out and she kind of got me through it and stuff and so now that was my main worry when when I had the steroids was oh I don't want to be back to that being in that mentality again but um thankfully I mean I haven't really felt that way I've just been I 
I think I think part of it is because I feel so much better and I'm like right I need to do what I can to make sure that this kidney is going to last me and it's going to keep me healthy and it can't look after me unless I look after it so I just I yeah I would just I mean I for the for the first while you're you're on high not high steroids but you're on a higher level for the first like six months and then they can reduce it so yeah I I, I think it helped that I tried to stay active and stuff and um it's just trying to keep a clear keep a clear head and just think like you need to do what's if you're hungry eat but be careful what you're eating don't if you're if you're hungry then maybe I don't know have some veggie sticks or something like that don't go straight in for like the deep dish pizza <laughs> it's so easy done <laughs> I know I think yeah I think what you'll say from what you, you know obviously the first time the weight and the gain was down to steroids and I think also you you were you know a delicate teenage years and it's so easy to develop disordered eating if you're not taught how to take care of yourself with and you're not, you know, when no one's taught to manage that level of steroids. Um, um, so it's really hard. But it sounds, yeah, from what you're saying now is it's that reframe, isn't it? The way that you're behaving and it's it doesn't sound like you're being, um, you know, obviously the things you can't eat because of your, you know, your, your kidney. But you're not being restrictive in the things you can eat. It's just about being aware and taking care. And it's, yeah, the reframe is it's about taking the taking care of, of yourself so you, that that kidney can take care of you and it, and and I, I suppose that reframe really helps shift the mindset as well of why you're doing it exactly yeah it's you you need to be you can't expect your body to keep going if you're going to abuse it so you just need to think about what you're doing before you do it if, if you feel like you know I'm hungry and I can't stop eating then just think about you know, I, the, I think the worst thing was is that I always found myself eating because I was thirsty all the time. Because you you're constantly just wanting water, and I don't know. I always felt like, oh, am I thirsty or am I hungry? I'll eat something and then I'll see. So I always like I always find myself drinking. If any time I feel hungry, I have a glass of water first and then have a cup of coffee and then see how I feel. And nine times out of ten, I wasn't hungry after that. It's, it's really hard to manage I think but exercise is really important as well like obviously not um every day or something but like even just going out for a walk it does wonders for like like your physical health as well as your mental health I think just getting a clear head and just feeling better so even if you do have a bad steroid day <laughs> where you're just really hungry and you eat everything then just going out for a walk makes you feel so much better anyway yeah definitely well it sounds like you've definitely learned some ways of managing this and and in a really healthy way that's really important um so I mean I'm just amazed and I'm in awe of of everything you've been through and yeah just thank you so much for sharing your story. It's amazing. And I'm so fascinated and I feel like there's so much more to learn, but uh, we have been chatting for an hour now. So yeah. you know, it's Saturday, so you might want to go and chill and, do, and go for a walk, whatever you want to do. Um, but just before we finish, uh, I always ask this at the end of my podcast. And it's obviously, uh, I think you'll have a few because you've been through quite a lot, but what would be your number one self-care tip to take care of your mental health? I feel like you've mentioned that similar things that you do already but yeah I mean definitely the first thing would be don't be afraid to look for help if you need if you feel like you need help um always ask you know if if you're struggling speak to a friend speak to some family or you know professional help I think is something that people still feel embarrassed about talking about and I know when I when I went to counselling for the first time, I didn't tell anyone because I was like, oh, I don't want them to think that I'm struggling. But everyone is struggling in one way or another. It's okay to struggle. Like if you uh, if you break your arm and you go to the doctors, no one's going to judge you for that. So if you're struggling mentally, then go and speak to someone who knows how to help. It's not something to be embarrassed about. Um, and another thing is just like let yourself 
not be okay for a day like it's okay to feel rubbish for a day everyone has days where they just want to curl up and you know watch Netflix and just ignore the rest of the world and that's fine like especially during lockdown it's it's like you're stuck in the house all the time and it's okay to just cry if you need to cry <laughs> and yeah the other thing would just be to please take care of your body <laughs> you don't realize how much it's doing to keep you alive and <laughs> to keep you healthy and just do your best to let it do its job yeah and as you say like it's the things like eating well and going for walks makes you feel better automatically so um yeah I love that and I love that like allow yourself to not feel okay for a day like that's I think we're so good at um pushing the negative emotions aside but we can totally like watch them happen and experience them and then move on and I think that's much more healthier often because it allows us also to understand why and where that's coming from so that we don't have to experience that again I suppose yeah I mean right now there's nothing I love more than just you know having the days where you can just sit and cry and then afterwards you're like who was that I'm fine now (laughs) brand new (laughs) I know I love a good cry me (laughs) (laughs) oh well they're such lovely tips so thank you so much Ashley it was so so lovely to chat to you it's been it was nice to be with you I mean I told you it was pretty amazing I don't know about you but I am such a wimp when it comes to talking about medical procedures and I just found the way Ashley approached the subject so informative and fascinating and it it just she's just so eloquent and I'm just I'm so in awe of her and everything that she's gone through and as I said in the podcast burst positivity and like it's just a ray of sunshine and It really puts, I think, things in perspective and I definitely left chatting with Ashley feeling really fortunate and grateful for my body and all that it does for me on a daily basis. So I hope you feel that way too. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode, please let me know. Um, I'm always delighted to hear what you think. You can let me and Ashley know by sharing on Instagram and tagging me at LJS Project and Ashley at Highland underscore transplant underscore girl. And if you want to find out more about Ashley's journey, um, she talks about it quite openly on her Instagram, so you can follow her there. Or you can listen to her podcast that you can find on Spotify called Kidna Live Without It. I'll link this in the podcast notes. As always, thank you so much for listening today. This podcast is my passion project and it fills me with joy knowing that people are listening and hearing what you get out from it too. So please do get in touch, drop me a message on my Instagram or Facebook and let's chat. Until then, sending you lots of love and I'll see you soon.